Hi everyone and welcome to Marketplace Jungle. We spend a lot of time here talking about why it's important to diversify to marketplaces beyond Amazon. But in this episode, we're going to explore some of the barriers that a successful Amazon seller can face when it comes to expanding into new channels. For example, will this new channel or these new channels generate enough revenue that it's worth my time to sell there? Or am I better off putting that time into growing my established Amazon business? Today's guest is Jamie Roller, Director of Growth Channels at Dr. Squatch, a nine-figure D2C first brand who have really nailed not only the Amazon game, but have managed to build a strong international presence through their own D2C website and complement their US business with channels such as Walmart and Target. Dr. Squatch produces high quality organic men's health products and have managed to carve themselves out a nice niche for offering unique products to their growing and loyal audience. In this episode, expect to learn how Dr. Squatch's perspective as a D2C first brand differs from that of a traditional brand, how Dr. Squatch decides which sales channels to add to their portfolio and what their criteria is to make sure it'll be worth the effort of expansion, what challenges Dr. Squatch faces when trying to expand their business into new marketplaces, what tasks Dr. Squatch does internally versus what they outsource to agencies, and what Jamie sees as the next high growth channels for Dr. Squatch. Jamie, thanks so much for joining on Marketplace Jungle. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jesse. It's good to talk to you. Jamie, you are Director of Growth Channels at Dr. Squatch, and I'd love to jump in and figure out, first of all, what a growth channel actually is, because I think that's a very broad term, and I'm sure you've got a very unique definition for that. But before we do, please tell me who you are, who Dr. Squatch is, for anyone who doesn't know. Obviously, it's a very segmented audience. Statistically speaking, half of the people listening to this probably haven't heard of the brand. And of the half that might have that would fit into the target audience, maybe a lot of them haven't. I know I hadn't until we crossed paths, um, but I'm definitely a fan of the products. How did you get started and and who is Dr. Squatch? Great questions. Um, Dr. Squatch is a men's natural personal care brand. We're D2C first. We're 10 years old this year. Very exciting for us to reach that milestone. Yeah, we, we make really high quality soaps, deodorants, hair care, and a bunch of other really exciting products, including some really cool partnership products like Star Wars and Halo. And we just have what we think of as really exciting products for men to use in their personal care routine. And what growth channels means for us is all the channels that aren't either our direct-to-consumer channel or retail. So anything outside of that, that's a growth lever for us that we can grow. That's what growth channels is. And that's what I look after in my job. I came to Dr. Squatch through a connection through one of the leadership team. I have a background running Amazon brands and they needed someone to run the Amazon business. And it was a great fit. And it's it's just been such a fantastic ride um, managing the marketplace business. You know, we've we've had huge success so far and obviously a long way to go to continue to build out the brand, but it's certainly been a fun ride so far and I've really appreciated being on board. One of the one of the nice things about being private is that you can keep certain information private. I think it's well known that, that Dr. Squatch is a, a nine-figure business, so it's also certainly quite successful. But I wondered if you're able to share any information about the split of where that roughly what percentage of the revenue comes from D2C channels, from, from marketplaces, from online versus offline. Are you able to sort of share some overviews of what the business looks like from that front? Yeah, um, it's, you know, and, and, I, and I'll caveat this with, 
with the the idea that this is changing quite rapidly over time as some of our channels um, grow and expand. But as it currently stands, about a third of our revenue is is coming from retail, brick and mortar retail. Um, about you know twenty percent of our revenue is coming from marketplaces. That's primarily Amazon, and the remainder is coming from D 2 C. D 2 C continues to be our bread and butter, and 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 you know I think it's going to continue to be like that. It's it's where we it's where we drop our most exciting products. It's where we can connect with customers the best. Retail is growing super super fast for us. I think we've we've had some very successful retail launches, and and hopefully you know we'll continue to grow in that channel. And Amazon, you know, which is what I'm managing and what what um, what I'm super excited about is 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 has proven to be a really really exciting channel for us and i think we've done some interesting things in that channel that have proven it to be a lot more profitable than i think a lot of brands see it see it as as a channel um and we've just seen continued continued growth in that channel you know alongside headwinds that other brands are facing in the industry and it's and i think we're continuing to lean into into amazon and other marketplaces um it, like as we go into the future because we know customers shop there and and um yeah i think it's 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 an exciting time to be expanding on online as well as in retail so when you were breaking the split down there you you referenced d2c as something separate to marketplaces whereas a more traditional brand would probably bundle them in together being anything that involves you selling the products directly to the consumer whether or not there's a marketplace in the middle would all kind of be the same thing. And then the rest of the business would be your traditional sort of retail model. So you guys obviously being a D2C first brand do need to differentiate that a little bit more. So I'm, I'm presuming that 20, 20% coming from marketplaces and the rest coming then from D2C, the, the D2C in your case refers to the website, but correct. are you able to sort of share rough rough numbers around how that works internationally? Because you guys have got a really solid presence, not just in the US, but also, I mean, certainly here in Germany and, and in the rest of the world as well. And I think you're you're in or you're from South Africa too, right? I don't know how the how the brand yeah. is there. Yeah, I'm 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 based in South Africa. I'm originally from America. Um, I and I, I've been working from here for the 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 entirety of my time at Squatch. Um, but we we are our um, our international business has you know is a relatively recent um, piece of Dr. Squatch's history, but it's growing out pretty rapidly. Uh, you know, our, our core market is is the US um, and Canada is, is another very strong market for us, but um, we are, you know, growing out uh, the, the UK and EU pretty quickly, as well as like Australia. And they're showing to be pretty exciting markets for us to, to grow into. And we're taking a similar approach in those markets as we are in the US, where we have a D2C presence and then alongside that, an Amazon presence. And it's showing, like we can get into a couple of reasons why why we believe that works um, and, how, and how the economics of that work for us. But uh, that kind of dual approach of, of how we see a D2C separate to Amazon is something that, that has worked pretty well for us because we believe it's like a fundamentally different customer that that shops on D2C versus Amazon and and therefore you need a different merchandising 
like price pack architecture model to support to support those. I couldn't agree with you more. When we talk about Amazon. You guys have a third party model on Amazon, right? Not yes. Yeah. Correct. We have a third party model on Amazon. Because I know from from a quick stalk on LinkedIn, I know obviously you you had some time with with a pretty prominent Amazon aggregator as well. So I, I can imagine Correct. that that experience probably helped with this a lot. But I'm wondering, particularly from the internationalization aspect. When it comes, I mean, you're, you're selling in one of the hardest categories to sell internationally. Beauty is renowned for all the different ingredients that can come in. There's, there's different packaging laws in different countries, especially here in the EU. There's, there's new packaging laws. It feels like every few months, a different country introduces something else, whether it's a different barcode or a different label or whatever has to be on the box. Is it allowed to be paper packaging or... Uh, Etc. 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 What are some of the hurdles that you've faced on that international expansion side of things? How did you manage to succeed so quickly with that international expansion? You know, I work relatively closely with our international team, and I and I don't want to um, and I don't want to speak for them in this sense because I, I don't know all of the hurdles, but I've I've got a sense for some of the biggest hurdles that they've that they've faced, and you've absolutely nailed it in my from my view, like. The, some of the biggest hurdles that they face is just getting into a new market in terms of compliance and packaging compliance. Um, and, and especially because those, the compliance, and this is something I experienced when I was running brands, like as you mentioned at, at the, the brand aggregator that I work for and getting into new markets, beauty brands, it's like not only are there very strict compliance hurdles, but they change often. So you're constantly needing to, be on top of what's going on and, and updating your packaging and, and whenever you, localizing anything new you launch from in the US to an EU marketplace is very challenging, um, especially when typically the, the, um, the volumes are much lower in the EU. So it becomes, it, 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 it's definitely like a, a big constraint when you're thinking about um, expanding into new markets. However, like I think our team has been really focused on, on, on scaling that and 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 what the 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 thing that I think sets Dr. Scotch up for success in 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 scaling international is our focus on uh, efficient marketing and building our brand first um, as opposed to just launching there and hoping it's praying and hoping it's going to work. Um, and I think that's you know like when when we launch a new market, um, we'll first kind of do some. CPA tests to see if it's a viable market to launch um, and then ship it from our US store. Um, and then once we figured out that, yes, this is like this is an attractive market for us, then we can start doing the, the true localization. And that's how we've done it. And it's worked pretty well for us. And as we've scaled, then we've been able to truly localize in those markets, build out, build out uh, local stores and, and you know, are, are at the place where we're building out local operations in those markets. And I suppose the next step of that is once you've got that evidence of success within those local markets, the retailers will then start to come and exactly. you can repeat what's happened in the US. So let's go back to the to what you were saying before then about the, the success that, that you've had on Amazon. Has Dr. So you started the Amazon business at Dr. Squatch. Did I understand that correctly? Or, or is that something? No, I did not. I think we started on Amazon in 2016, I believe. So it was quite a while ago. And when we started, it was just, you know, get it up and running with some light agency support um, to, to get it up and running. And in the past probably three years, it's scaled extremely rapidly. And that's on the back of 
you know, what's interesting is like it scaled truly on the back of the success of our D2C brand. So as our D2C brand kind of reached that, like the, the incline of that J curve, so did our Amazon brand. Um, and I came on in 2021, which was really the massive growth year for Dr. Squatch and a time when our Amazon brand was grow our Amazon presence was growing really rapidly. And my job was kind of to, to operationalize and just organize the Amazon business in a way that was going to help kind of sustainably scale it as we go from a, a small brand that's, that's just operating on Amazon to a big brand that needs to continue to scale. Um, and what we've seen is just like the Amazon business continues to have this flywheel effect. The more we put into the D2C business, the more we, the more we uh, build the Amazon business because all of that investment in marketing, customers see that marketing, they then not all of them want to go to a D2C site. They open a browser tab, they go to Amazon, they search for, search for our brand and we get a lot of quote unquote organic uh, traffic from that from that marketing. So obviously the topic of this podcast is marketplaces beyond Amazon. One of the one of the biggest reasons I think to be on marketplaces as many marketplaces as possible is that when you're doing that targeted advertising or when you're doing that advertising you don't really know where that consumer is going to go. They might not want to buy on Amazon for whatever reason. Particularly I think the kind of consumer who would be attracted to things like your B Corp status, the natural ingredients that are in the products that kind of consumer might be ethically opposed to dealing with Amazon for things like how workers are treated or the environmental impact or, I mean, you name it, the list's as long as my arm. Are you, do you have any kind of, inf any ideas of like, I guess to put it, to put it bluntly, how much money's being left on the table there by not being on more non-Amazon channels? Do you have a feeling for, are there, are there opportunities in other non-Amazon marketplaces that, you're hoping to be able to grab onto soon? And, and if so, which ones are on your roadmap? This is a great question. And it's something I think is really worth unpacking. Um, so let me, let me start by saying we, we, we do have presence on other marketplaces. We are available on walmart.com, both 1P and 3P. We're available on target.com, but again, like both essentially like via targets 1p model as well as target dbs we're available on kroger.com 1p however we've not leaned into that and and you know for, for the simple reason that like it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to direct customers to a site where they're purchasing a single bar of soap and we're spending marketing money to acquire that customer and they're not getting paid back right so like when we think about where we want to put our energies, we've historically focused on on Amazon or we've historically focused on D2C and increasingly on Amazon because there we're able to bundle, we're able to price in like price however we want. We've got more control over pricing and whatever marketing money we spend, whatever that CAC is, we can pay it back much quicker because the customer's AOV is much higher. Whereas on walmart.com, we, we one, don't know, how, how much those customers are spending, but assume that they're spending very little and we're not paying them back. So it's, it's not a very efficient purchase for us. However, I think like it's, it's a really great question and it's something I'm asking myself because I, I have a hunch and it's, it's not proven yet, but I'm, 
you know, trying to figure out how we can get more data about this is, is I have a hunch that the Walmart.com customer is a very different customer to the Amazon.com customer. And it's also a very different customer to our D2C customer. And um, I, you know, I think it's, it's worthwhile asking, how do we assess the decision to expand or not to expand in these marketplaces? At what point does it become unprofitable for us to expand onto those marketplaces? And if or how should we be pushing on, on non-Amazon marketplaces to, because I mean, the traffic on, the, the, there's significant traffic there and we're, we're, not, we're not leaning into that. And they're gonna, it's gonna cont continue growing over the next couple of years. So certainly something I'm thinking about, but I'm very mindful of the fact that we don't wanna be kind of cannibalizing our own revenue. So I think it's something we're, yeah, very, very mindful of is, is that net revenue cannibalization question. Would you agree, though, that on the other side of that coin, there's also an argument to be made that the profitability of the marketplace business as a whole would override the profitability of the individual channels? If what, what my concern is that if we start, let me give you an example. If we start putting significant ad money behind um, pushing customers to walmart.com, and then Walmart starts advertising on Google on their, or, well, they're already doing this, but like if they start, if they start pushing customers who are looking for a brand on Google to their um, single bar listings, then every customer that, that purchases, that, that searches for a brand on Google, they're gonna see a, a single bar at sometimes a lower price than our own website because Walmart decides to sell it lower and then they're going to go to Walmart and essentially buy a much smaller quantity at a much smaller price and our their LTV is going to be lower than what what it would be on 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 um on D2C because one we they're not they're not going to be a repeat purchaser because we have no way of contacting them and two, their first purchase value is much lower than what it would be on D2C. One, either one of those two things. So whether or not the profitability is this, like the contribution margin per order is the same, the amount that we're getting per order is significantly less on retail marketplaces. And that's something that we, we want to be mindful of. I guess, of course, there's, there's also the marketplace commission that comes into that as well. And no end of other costs. I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines, I guess, of the more niche marketplaces, the ones where you maybe don't need to pay through the teeth for PPC advertising that aren't going to cannibalize your, your own Google listings, you know, to think of, for example, country specific marketplaces like Allegro in Poland or Otto in Germany being a big one next to Amazon or see discount even in France or bowl.com in the Netherlands. These are marketplaces where because they are a bit more country specific, you perhaps don't need to worry as much about PPC as you would when you're competing on a larger in a larger market like the USA. And if you're going to be advertising in, for example, if you're creating Instagram adverts or TikTok ads or whatever on in Dutch that are going to be targeting Dutch consumers, that Dutch consumer is potentially more likely to go to bold.com and type in Dr. Squatch than they are to go to amazon.nl or even to your own website. And what I'm then wondering is if the profitability of that bold.com 
listing is, of course, it's important. But I'm wondering if that consumer in the, in the Netherlands being able to purchase that product and being able to have that experience with the great product and then hopefully coming back and buying another one and another one potentially from, the, from your Dutch website in the future, if that in itself doesn't speak for potentially seeing the marketplaces allowing a little bit less profitability or even a loss on some channels as long as the marketplace business as a whole is still profitable. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I, I, I really agree with you here. I think international markets as we see it, international markets, um, non-US markets is one place where I have really wanted to expand. I think that we have a lot just a lot lower coverage there. And I agree with you, there's there's huge potential for us to leave something on the table by not uh, by not being on Otto or Legro or something like that. I think I've, over the last year, I've done some exploring onto how to get onto these marketplaces. And I think from, from my view, there's a huge barrier to entry there for, for a US brand like us, just in how to get set up, how to get your inventory over, Making that work operationally is is a lot more challenging than than you know I I would like it to be. And um, there's also like the other thing that I think is important to 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 realize here is like there's an opportunity cost with with our time and my team's resources. And this is something that we've we've spoken a great deal about within my team is is you know I've been very bullish on I've actually been very bullish on expanding on on new marketplaces. And what we've kept coming back to is that every minute that I spend away from the Amazon business is a significant loss of, of you know, money we could be making. If I just like, basically like what, what someone told me, which I thought, which I loved was if you can just spend all of your time focusing on getting four of your products top ranked on Amazon, that like enormously out benefits having expanding onto new market, into new incremental marketplaces. So there's that constant trade-off of like, do we expand incrementally or do we just double down on, on our big marketplace, Amazon, which is bringing us in you know, a huge amount of money? So I agree with you, those like we're probably leaving money on the table there, but it's a trade off of like we're probably also leaving money on the table on Amazon, too. I think there's always the I'm always singing the, the diversification song, because for me, every second that you're not expanding into non Amazon channels is another second that you're being too dependent on Amazon. And of course, as long as you follow every rule and, and continue to, to be a successful Amazon seller, the chances are, are, are low, but the possibility always exists of an account suspension. And, you know, if you're in a position where 90% of your revenue comes from Amazon, which for many businesses, that's the case, that can be a very bitter pill to swallow if you're even if you've done nothing wrong. And it's just a case of waiting a few weeks for an appeal to be approved and to get the account up and running again. But, you know, you've got to get that, you've got to get everything rolling again. And then it takes time for the sales to build back up. And for me, the, I, I see, I've seen too many brands go under because of an account suspension justified or otherwise. The, the reality is that no other channel is Amazon. There isn't another, okay, you've got bigger marketplaces like Alibaba perhaps, and you've got more niche marketplaces where it would be possible to perform better than you do on Amazon if you're in the right category. For example, fashion, a fashion seller will typically do better on Zalando in Europe than they do on Amazon. But I think it's it's 
essential for a brand to add as many marketplaces as possible to the point that their Amazon revenue is 50% of what's coming from the rest of the marketplaces. As in, if you've got marketplace revenue on the whole, 50% of that should be from Amazon, 50% should be the rest. And that doesn't mean, you know, you can't do that with one marketplace. You might have to add 50 marketplaces to reach that point. And obviously that's where we then come in and start pitching e-chameleon. But from the, it doesn't matter what kind of channel management tool you're using, but there are, there are ways to do that efficiently. But as you said, there's so many barriers to doing that, that I think a lot of brands do hit those hurdles. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation as well, because I really wanted to figure out like what those hurdles are and, and how you're overcoming them. Because you, you have started that process. You know, you're not only on Amazon, you're on, you're on Walmart, you're on Target, you're on Kroger. You know, you've got a really good, solid international DTC presence. So you are already very far down that diversification road. But what, what are some of those specific channel challenges that would stop you from tomorrow selling on Allegro? Is it, is it just the logistics side of things or? Yeah, I think there's a couple that, that come to mind immediately. The first one is absolutely logistics, especially when we're thinking about international marketplaces, but, but wherever they are, you know, it's, it's always, it's always going to be a new leg for our fulfillment and operations team to get inventory set up and sent to. And that's something that we, you know, are, we're a very lean team in general, and our team has kind of been custom, like set up to to manage the channels that we have for for the growth that we've 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 set up, and adding incremental channels, which tend to at the beginning at least have high overheads with little revenue. That's something that's that's that is challenging for us, especially when it comes to the upside. The second side is the more technical upside. So when we think about like getting orders integrated into our system, um, you know, how, how do we get that marketplace integrated into our system? We, we, you know, into our ERP that like, that takes work and that takes bandwidth from our team. It's, it's a whole new connection that we have to set up. And I know it sounds, it sounds simple from the outset. It's like, well, you just, you know, plug and play, but in reality, like it's it's a good amount of work from our team, and that you know our, our team, as I mentioned, like doesn't have a lot of bandwidth for that. So we have to really make the business case internally for why this is something they have to be working on. And again, it comes back to like, is this going to be a true revenue driver for us? Um, and often the case is like, unless unless we see this being a like six to preferably seven figure channel for us in the next year, it's not going to get prioritized. And then I think the third thing that's, that, that comes up when I think about expanding into new marketplaces is um, my, my specific team's resources in operating and managing the, the uh, marketplace. So of course, like we, we rely heavily on agency partners, both for ads and operations, you know, if we do do ads on a marketplace, but there always comes a time, as you mentioned, as you pointed out, like there, you know, like the marketplace shuts down your listings or something's not working or your inventory is not received or like we've had it on all the marketplaces we've operated on. And we're not experts in, in, in marketplace operations we're experts in more marketplace strategy i would say so we rely heavily on our agency partners to get that done and it's it's a combination of like 
you know, getting finding the right partner to to do that for us has been a challenge. Uh, you know, and also like every time we we bring on a new agency partner, we want to make sure that we're that we have the bandwidth to support them supporting us, right? So, if I think about how strapped my team is for time now, uh, like I I just don't have we we don't have any extra time to to spend more time with another agency. Um, to get a new marketplace up. So, so it's the, like, uh, as you can tell, like there are multiple hurdles to this and it makes it very, very difficult. While I totally agree with you that, that we should be um, diversifying our Amazon revenue. And it does give me agita that we're, that we're so heavily invested in Amazon. Um, it's, it's really challenging to do it when you're time strapped and resource constrained and your business is, today set up to support Amazon and you, you want to make sure that that's a success. And I think the important thing is, sorry, one, one last thing. I'd like, I think the important thing is like, there needs to be a business case for whether this channel or even five incremental channels are going to get to six, seven figures. And I haven't yet been able to build that out. So, you know, until I can do that, it's, it's going to be very difficult for me to resource my team in such a way that, that allows me to, to expand. Yeah, that's no, that's a really valid, that's a really fair point. It's really interesting for me to see it from that from that perspective. So thank you for showing that. How big is the team at Doctor Squatch? Because sometimes I get the feeling that you're 100 people. Sometimes I get the feeling you're 10. I think we're around 200 people right now, and you know that's like we we all work very cross functionally, as I'm sure you can imagine. The Amazon team is, you know, I have myself and one direct report, um, and we work completely cross functionally with. Um, whole like with with op- very close with operations with the rest of the marketing team um with and, and like we sit within the marketing team so we do a lot of work figuring out what our merchandising should look like what our marketing strategy should look like how we're launching new products so we do some work with products it's 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 our we tend we, we tend to be a very distributed team but um uh you know, the, the Amazon team is 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 quite um, efficient at <laughs> getting things done really? with smaller with resources. Yeah, clearly, by the sounds of it, it sounds it sounds like you could probably use a, a quadrupling of the team and call it a marketplace team. We do rely heavily on our agency partners, which is you know something like I think when I talk to folks, whether they're whether it's D 2 C brands or or Amazon, like new Amazon brands. I always just stress the importance of finding an agency partner to help them scale and do so like in a scrappy way. And then really using that agency partner effectively. Like we, we see our agency partners as extensions of our team and we have a really, really good relationship with them. And I think that's been so key in us being able to scale and expand and and do so in a lean way. And it's one of our core values is just being scrappy. And I think, um, you know, like it, it's actually better to not have that bloat internally and, and to to um, lean on experts where you need to outside. Yeah. So I'm guessing because obviously agencies is a very interesting topic within marketplaces in general because typically what happens or what I see happen a lot is you have what you have kind of a generic sort of digital agency which then starts to do which tends to morph into a PPC agency or a Google ads agency. And then they're like, oh, we can do PPC. And then it's like, oh, well, we can do Amazon. Therefore, we're an Amazon agency. And then it's like, oh, now actually we'll start doing a bit of A-plus content. And now we're a marketplace agency. 
And then you'll get someone coming to them and be like, hey, can you help me with eBay or Walmart? And they're like, uh, sure, we're a marketplace agency. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And then you see a lot of people getting stung with that. And so how many agencies do you work with and what do they, how, how do you sort of break down who's responsible for what? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I think it's, a, everyone kind of has a unique approach to this. Historically, we had one agency who did our Amazon operations and PPC. And they helped us a little bit with Walmart as we um, launched that channel on 3P. As we, as we scaled, I felt that it was important for us to, you, you know, the agents who we worked with were, were absolutely Amazon operation specialists. And in my view, like they, they had um, PPC as a, as a service, but they were very much like, it was very much a, um, they rely on platforms and do a lot of manual work. And I didn't feel like it was the right, the right move for us at, at our scale to be sticking with an agency who, um, who wasn't a specialized agency and who couldn't help us really like squeeze out that last little bit of efficiency from the platform. So last year we moved to an, a bigger agency who's a PPC specific agency who is, who relies heavily on machine learning to, to optimize our ads. So at the moment we've got one agency managing purely operations um, and they do a fantastic job of that. And then we've got one agency who specifically does PPC and does so on like automated bidding structures. And that's turned out to be a really positive move for us. Um, you know, there's some challenges with, with the specific PPC, that specific PPC approach, but I think overall, like it, it's, it, it's, it's helped us to have a specialist on both sides. While I think there are benefits to having one agency look over both things because then they, because then they kind of understand your account holistically. Um, I've certainly appreciated having someone who's more specialized on the PPC front. Yeah, I can understand that. And so then do you also have agencies that handle the international side of things or is that something that's done in-house? Um, we, our, our operations agency handles the international operations as in like creating listings, managing tickets from Amazon, etc. We handle the fulfillment and shipments in-house, which it's something we've recently, we, we've brought it more and more in-house. Our, our agency used to help out with that. But as we've grown our team and become more efficient with, with our own operations, it's become better for us to just do all of that in-house. Um, and then uh, our, our ad agency manages those those markets for PPC. That's got to be really tough, but I mean, it's going to be great to have so many different perspectives, but it's going to be tough to manage all of those different agencies with different expectations from different, each one and different, I guess, probably even trying to remember which one's responsible for which, because I bet they all try and do everything. Well, like, it's actually not. And I think what we've done well is um, from the get-go, well, firstly, like, I think we we have always gone through a very, very rigorous vetting process when uh when we bring on vendors and i think like probably a lot of folks that know me can attest to this like we 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 really put put i don't want to say put the put vendors to the put vendors to the ringer ringer but we like we really want to make sure that the right partner for us so that when we do onboard with them um we like are very clear on that that we're aligned on goals and that 
they have like that that we are the right partners to be working with. We don't want to have to make a switch after a switch after a switch because then it's a mess for everyone. Um, the other thing I think we we've always done well is be like align really closely on strategy, both at the beginning of, of when the account opens, but also like ongoing over time. So I think when when an agency partner understands like what you're trying to achieve and your goals, and then you kind of give them ownership and the uh, ability to kind of take a bit of like onus on themselves to, to, to do what needs to be done to, to get that to get that delivered. It, it ends up being a lot more efficient. And, you know, we have like with both of these agencies that we work with, I have a once weekly meeting. We meet, we chat in Slack and anything that comes up, we just, we just throw it to each other in Slack or over an email. And it, it's actually, it actually works really well um, because they understand our goals so well. And, and we, you know, we'll throw around ideas or we'll, if we, if we decide to change strategy, like moving some ad spend around, we'll, it, it's, it, it's very easy to get to it because we, um, they understand our goals. And I guess you just have to, as you say, really vet them in the beginning to make sure that you're going to be able to have that kind of working relationship. No, that's really cool. Jamie, look, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to share everything that's gotten to this point. I'm, I'm very aware of, of your time. I think my final question for you today would be, what's next? What's the next, what are the next growth channels? Where What have you got your eye on? Where do you think the next six or seven figure business is going to come from? That's a great question. Candidly, I, I am in two minds about this. I think, you know, Amazon is going to continue to be the primary marketplace growth driver for our business. I have a hunch that Walmart and Target and Kroger and other big U.S. marketplaces are going to grow rapidly in the next couple of years. And I want to make sure we're exploring them thoughtfully. Um, while not leaving money on the table. Um, and that's where I think the majority of the growth is going to come from. Those marketplaces already have huge audiences and they're investing a lot in their, in their uh, marketplace strategy. I think anything aside that is, is going to come from incremental growth from a bunch of different marketplaces. And for us, TBD, how we lean into that. I think as, I, as we kind of chatted through, like right now, this year, I think my focus is going to be 80% on doubling down on Amazon, which has just shown so much success for us, and 20% on growing out the other marketplaces where we're already successful. Um, and yeah, we'll see what's next. I mean, I'm very open to being proven wrong here. If, if another marketplace, <laughs> if another marketplace shows up to be to be the, the one to be on, then I'm that you would love to test it out. Well, it's just it just made me think one that's being hyped a lot. And I'm going to out myself as a European here because I'm not sure what the pronunciation is. Is it Shane? Cheyenne? Cheyenne? I think it's Shine. Shine. S-H-E-I-N. Yeah. I've seen a few people kind of tipping that to be the the one that's going to finally give Amazon a run for its money. I don't know it personally, but I'm curious to see how that goes. Have, yeah, have you explored that as a channel for you, for you guys? Or I've I've been looking at it. Not quite clear how we would expand onto it operationally yet. I'm not sure if they, if, if they're open to, I could be wrong, but I'm not sure if they're actually open to having brands expand onto it yet, but I, I think it's probably worthwhile me having a deeper look there because I've been, I've, I mean, I've been reading the, the same stories that you have. Like it's, it's, everyone has their eyes set on it as the next Amazon. 
Interesting. Let's do this again in a year's time and we'll see where it's at. (laughs) Cool. Well, until then, Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. And yeah, look forward to doing it again in the future. Thanks so much, Jesse. Really enjoyed the chat. Thanks again for taking the time out of your day to listen into this episode of Marketplace Jungle. I have to say that it was hard for me to hear Jamie talk about the fact that potentially every second she is focused on non-Amazon channels could be costing the business rather than helping it grow, as new channels should. Partially because it's hard for me to deny the logic here, but also because I've heard that story many times before from brands who were all too reliant on Amazon or a suspension forced them to finally pull the trigger on that expansion. It sounds to me like Jamie definitely has her finger on the pulse of non-Amazon channels though, and is driving some change at Dr. Squatch, which will almost certainly see their products end up on some new channels near you. I am certainly looking forward to seeing how that aspect of the business grows over time, and we'll definitely try and get Jamie back on for future episodes to share any learnings that she has once she and the team at Dr. Squatch have gone further down that road. I'm always looking for brand stories like Dr. Squatch's, as I know how helpful it can be for a seller to hear different perspectives to the same old problems, or even just to know that you're not alone here, and even high-volume sellers face the same issues on a day-to-day basis. If you've got a Marketplace story that you think the audience here at Marketplace Jungle could benefit from, please do get in touch with me via LinkedIn. Or if you prefer to just listen along, then, well, that's what I'm here for. So... Thanks also to you for sharing your time with me and I'll see you next time.